flavored butter into their answer, in case you missed that. So what does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? That's kind of a phrase you probably heard thrown around a little bit as far as Christians and how we're supposed to engage in our culture. And what is our salvation for? Two pretty interesting questions that, that many Christians, including those that, that answered uh, some of our, our, our questions uh, and responded to that, um, really struggle sometimes maybe to, to know what that means. Um, or even if we do feel like we have a sense of, of an understanding of what that means, articulating it in a way that makes sense sometimes is difficult. And certainly, even if we can do those things, living it on a day-to-day basis uh, is really a challenge. This past April, uh, Justin, the drummer, and I, we went to a conference in Nashville. And during that conference, we were invited to this um, lunch because of our sex appeal, probably. Um, anyways, this, Justin told me to say that <laughs> on the way down. He said, hey, say something about how sexy I am. It's like, okay. We got invited to this lunch by this organization we never heard of called the Acton Institute. Um, and they're based out of Michigan. But they had just finished making this movie uh, that was kind of a video, several-part series called For the Life of the World, Letters to the Exiles. And they showed us this video over lunch. It was about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. And uh, it was really intriguing. And I left there thinking, hmm, I mean, that was really interesting. So then we go back to the conference for the afternoon sessions, and there were several speakers that spoke that afternoon. And and the the really weird thing um, was that that theme of exile came up like a couple more times that afternoon. And they even, somebody else quoted the same verse that we'd heard during the video over lunch in, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 29 at a time when the people of Israel were in exile. And so at some point, you know, you're just like, all right, God, like, what are you trying to say here? What do you have for me? Maybe what do you have for our church in this? So first, let me explain a little bit about when we use the word exile, what that means, specifically for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, okay? So the Jews uh, were God's chosen people. God made a covenant with a particular people, and he said, hey, guys, I am going to be your God, and I'm going to be for you in every way, and it's a covenant. It's a binding agreement. There's no way out of it. I'm in this with you. And we see evidence of God's covenant commitment to them at several times you know we see the story of Moses leading them out of slavery in Egypt uh, parting the Red Sea when they're out in the desert he's raining down bread for them every morning he's making water come out of a rock for them okay so uh, then they get to the promised land to the nation that's now Israel today that area and he, he wipes the enemies out before them to give them that land you know you have the story of Jericho and the walls coming down and all these miraculous things And then as the story goes on, you see him providing for them great leaders. You see guys like King David and King Solomon that come to the forefront to to lead that nation. But at various times throughout their history, uh, they went through some bad stretches. You know, some seasons in their existence as a people where they were just really disobedient. And kind of like all of us, we have seasons and stretches of our life that sometimes aren't real pretty. And as a result of those seasons, God allowed neighboring nations to conquer them and then take those people away to those foreign lands as exiles. And so in the book of Jeremiah, if you've read that in the Old Testament, uh, Jeremiah was God's chosen prophet to speak to the people of Israel about 600 B.C., okay, so 600 years before Christ. At that time, it was the Babylonian Empire 
The Babylonian Empire came in, conquered Israel, and took a lot of the, the Jews uh, away to the city of Babylon as exiles, which is now in present-day Iraq. Welcome not home, right? So in the Old Testament, the term exile referred to somebody who was physically taken from their home and placed into a foreign land, okay? In the New Testament, the word exile is used to describe anyone who's a follower of Christ, including you and I, okay? It doesn't have anything to do with the physical state of where you live. It has to do more with the spiritual state, okay? So I'm in, we're all exiles in St. Joseph, okay? But God isn't moving us anywhere. Spiritually, this is not our home, okay? So that's kind of the point here. As Christians, we are now citizens of heaven, if you want to read more about that, look at Philippians 3, and Paul has some verses that kind of explain that a little bit. And this earth is no longer our home. C.S. Lewis, writers of the Chronicle of Narnia, he describes the idea of being spiritual exiles best. He says this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You ever get that sense? I mean, that's really kind of what Tom Brady was saying, right? I mean, this is a guy who is on the top of his career. He has the money, the fame, the three Super Bowl rings, good looks, women, and it still didn't satisfy. And if that guy is asking the question, there's got to be more than this. And man, everybody in America who's chasing the things that he's already gotten and said this isn't it, that's trouble for all those folks, right? Some of us may be sitting here this morning at different times in our life. As I've said before, as citizens of heaven, our problem then for a lot of us comes when we try to make earth heaven. When we try to orchestrate our lives in a way to take away pain, to take away suffering, to try to make things as comfortable as we possibly can right here so that this life feels pretty awesome, right? And in America, we struggle with that a lot because we do have a lot of things going for us. When you hear this message about, man, they're going to be, we're citizens of heaven, there's a home for us someday in other parts of the world, they're like, yeah, because <laughs> this world is hell sometimes, right? Here we struggle with that. And... Even though we try to create these perfect scenarios with our life and try to control and manage things, ultimately we understand that it doesn't work. And, and a lot of times, it's, sometimes it's, it's in, in our control, sometimes it's outside of our control, but we can't make life here satisfy us because friends let us down. Our children make bad and destructive decisions sometimes. We go to work and, and we're giving ourselves to our company, to our job, and we feel underappreciated sometimes, and that hurts. Our spouse isn't on board with our agenda all the time. We can't seem to get ahead financially no matter what we do. And it's like we're grasping for something that just kind of keeps slipping through our, our fingers, right? And, and any time that we do kind of get it and the stars all kind of align and life seems really good, we can't sustain it for very long, you know? The same plan doesn't keep working all the time. So what do we do? How do we live in this in-between time? And what should our perspective be and, and, our, and our lens in which we're seeing the world 
in our relationships? What should that look like in this temporary home that we keep waking up to every morning? The disciple Peter, he wrote a letter in the first century to the early church, and he he addressed it to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, basically the, the Mediterranean area. He describes all the early Christians as exiles. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's page 851. 1 Peter chapter 2. Starting down in verse 9. He's got some great advice for us as exiles. Verse 9 says, chapter 2, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here in this first couple of verses, he really defines our identity, who we are. Okay, you should just, just, just be the nation of Israel that was God's chosen people. Now he says all of you who are followers of Christ are God's special possession. And he defines our, our task, our role, what we're supposed to be doing. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then he goes on in verse 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. And we're supposed to declare praises to God for the mercy and the grace and for calling us out of darkness into his light. And we are supposed to live a, a life of doing good deeds towards others so that those folks might glorify God. Okay? So now we're starting to get a little bit of a picture of what our role here on earth is. Maybe a little bit of our perspective. And today we're going to watch the first part of the video. Uh, it's, it's episode one of this series that we saw at lunch that day. Which is really going to set up our conversation for next week. Okay, so I want you to pay attention. I've seen it probably eight or nine times and have caught something new every time. So I want you to hone in. It's pretty interesting. Uh, You can take notes on the back of your program, something that stands out to you. We'll have a little discussion afterwards of what kind of grabbed a hold of your attention. Okay, so sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the movies. Dear everybody, I have a confession to make. I am sick of how we Christians deal with the world. 
Okay, okay, okay. Maybe that's too harsh. Dear everybody, I think we need a new perspective, a wider view of what it means to be in the world, but not of it. There must be a better way. The pace of modern society is often fast. The beat is sometimes frantic. The need to belong is ever-present. Amy, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that perspective change you were talking about. This is my friend Amy Sherman. She's a researcher and a writer, and she's done a lot of thinking on what it means to be a Christian in the modern world. Strangers in a strange land, all that. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this. It seems like everywhere you look, it's just a mess. Okay. We've got wars, culture wars, climate change, red state, blue state, you hear what I'm saying? Equality issues. And all we Christians can seem to do is just get caught up in it. And we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, but I'm just not sure anyone really knows what that means. So help me out here, Amy Sherman. Sure. I don't even know where to start. I think your first instinct is right. What if for too long we've been looking at our salvation only as a means of personal atonement. God's plan for all things is a grander story than that. What if there's a bigger question? Like, what is our salvation actually for? That's the key question, right there. Did you hear it? What is our salvation actually for? What is our salvation for? For the life of the world? Amy, I think I need to call you back. There's a title sequence in my front yard. Okay. This is the story of the bigger picture. Evan, welcome to Exile. The deeper mystery of faith. This is the story of God's mission in the world and our place in it. I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Evan. These are my friends. Evan, what's going on? And this is For the Life of the World, Letters to the Exiles. Amy. Evan, sorry about that. We must have gotten disconnected. No problem. Where were we? We were talking about the purpose of salvation. What's it for? What is our salvation actually for? Okay. Yeah. We are to be in the world, but if we look a bit deeper into the issues, we see that Christians view culture and the rest of the world in a us-versus-them mentality, like we're being invaded. We see it play out in three ways. The first response to culture is what my pastor Greg Thompson calls fortification. We put up walls, shut the world out. It's a bunker mentality. The second common response is domination. Mm -hmm. This approach engages in culture and condemns it and fights against it. This is the culture warrior mentality. Finally, there are the accommodationists, and they're a response to this war mentality. Hey, Ben, what's going on? Come on over. These are the types that engage culture but completely lose their identities. Everybody drinks and smokes. All right, just one beer. To keep the boat from rocking, we jettison the gospel. 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 Okay, so like I said, this is for the life of the world, and I'm Evan Coons. And what we're trying to do here is establish a clear perspective on being in the world, but not of it. 
So I've rounded up a group of people way smarter than me to help explain it all. Excuse me just one moment while I make another quick phone call. Hello? Dwight. Uh, hey, Evan, are, are, are we on? Yeah, this is Dwight Gibson. He's the chief exploration officer for his company, The Exploration Group in Philadelphia. People commission him to explore the world and create new ideas for their businesses and organizations. Dwight, I found these all over my yard. Oh, it's a Chinese lantern. Yeah, see what you can find out for me by the end of the episode. Uh, how, how long's an episode? Oh, hey, somebody's here, okay? Listen, I gotta go. Now, for the sake of time, enjoy meeting Stephen Grable through the stylings of my voiceover. Okay, Dr. Stephen Grable is a theologian and scholar. What's up, man? And the editor oh, man. of the Stewardship Study Bible. Good to see you. He has degrees in philosophy and political science with an MTS, a THM, and a PhD from Calvin Theological Seminary. He's written and edited books on Protestant social thought, Abraham Kuyper, ethics and economics. In other words, the dude knows his stuff. Hey, I got you something. Oh, and when okay, he's not cool. researching theology at Acton Institute, really a think tank in Grand Rapids, Michigan, hey. he's bringing me books and sitting in my library. Signs of Jonas. Come on. That's, All right, that's yeah. good. And sometimes my art studio. Fortification, domination, accommodation. Man, there's a lot to those ideas. Yeah. I think we need to unpack them a little bit. What do you think? I would really appreciate that, actually. All right. You know, I, I kind of discerned a, a common theme running throughout all of those ideas. And basically, it's urgency. Urgency, urgency. If we don't act now, we're going to end up in some crisis. Crisis, crisis, crisis. And something awful, irreversible even, is going to happen. But, but um, what we have to do is actually take a totally different view of culture. Deep-rooted cultural change takes about a generation, which in biblical times is measured by 70 years. Sure. And I don't think very many of us have the patience for that today. Mm -hmm. We need a whole different perspective on the matter. Are you listening to me? Yes. No, what? I'm sorry. I'm totally... No. This is something that we forget all the time. That we just fail to remember this, that we're strangers in a strange land. Welcome to exile. Welcome, not home. Ugh. We're all strangers here, and we're all at points estranged from God, but we're trying to find our way home in accordance with his purpose. It's too abstract. <laughs> so that's what I'm interested in. How do we do that? You know what, Evan? The best way to understand exile is to kind of go back to, to the scriptures and what Jeremiah was talking to the children of Israel about in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 is the prophet's final instructions for Israel, as well as a promise of restoration before the Babylonians came to take them into captivity. It was a routing of the land, and Jeremiah 29.7 is the key. And what do you think he told them to do? Seek the welfare of the city into which I placed you, and in seeking that welfare, you will find your own welfare. Try that one on for size. What this means is the way we evaluate everything, our success, our purpose, all that big picture stuff changes 
because it's all about the welfare of the places into which we've been placed, those cities. There's a little bit of me that just feels like it's like we're accommodating the city. I can see how it might seem that way, but it wasn't Jeremiah's intention for the children of Israel to sort of just blend in to the Babylonians. Remember what Jeremiah does before they go into exile? He buys a plot of land, gets the deed to it, and he buries the deed. He buries the deed, not because he'll come back and dig it up later, he'll, he'll be dead. But he does know that there will be a return from exile. He has hope in the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. And so he's unafraid to enter into that Babylonian captivity because he has faith that God will realize his purposes, even if this present generation is not around to witness it. Huh. Well, that puts some things in perspective. Maybe what God asked of the Israelites in captivity, he's asking of us today. Just like John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and the future coming of the kingdom, so we are pointing to a new reality that's off into the future, even if it's somewhat present right now. We're not the Messiah. We're, we're people that prepare the way. Are we willing to do that hard work? For, for something we might not even see? For something that we might not even ourselves be able to envision. stand in the midst of exile while the whole place seems to burn? Can we allow ourselves to do the humble work of sowing and tilling so that another can come along and reap? Can we be so bold as to declare that that work is preparing the way of the Lord? Well, the key though is like understanding what we mean by the way of the Lord. And that's something I don't. I was hoping you'd say that. Come on. I want to say just one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Oikonomia. Exactly how do you mean? There's a great future in Oikonomia. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Shh. Enough said. That's a deal. It's getting late. I have to go. Okay. My favorite line, oikonomia. Exactly how do you mean? <laughs> he doesn't know what it is anyway, so. All right, I don't want answers, okay? I just want thoughts reflections what was interesting to you what made you think maybe a phrase a scene a, an idea let's just throw out some things that were interesting who's got something yes gary sorry okay there's a grander story going on that we're not aware of we're not stepping back far enough to get some perspective yes What's my place in this? Okay. What else? Will I even witness to my place? Will I even be witness to what? 
yeah, will, will I be witness to the hard work, the humble work, the hard work that the tilling, the soil, and the ground in people's lives in this world that somebody else might reap in the future? Am I willing to do that humble work that somebody else might benefit from? Great point. That, that really captured my attention too. What else? Yes, the peanut gallery. Hang on. <laughs> okay, what part of that did, stood out? Like, ah. Okay, yeah. How when he was, he was listening to that guy talk and he was making the iron-on shirt. But sometimes we're, we're asking questions, but we're really not paying attention. We're really not seeking answers that God might have for us in the midst of this life. That's a good point. Yeah. Anything else? I was, yes, I'm sorry, missed you. Okay. Okay, that we're not supposed to do things alone, we're supposed to be a part of a community or team, okay? I really was uh, interested in that whole idea of, of in, in, in biblical times, a, a generation was 70 years, and that that's how long it took to change a culture, and he said, you know, I'm not sure we really have patience for that. Man, that's, that's really true. I thought that was really interesting. So um, one of the things that really stood out to me um, was that statement that she made at the beginning. As he's talking to that woman on the phone, and she said this, what if our salvation is bigger than our personal atonement? What that means basically is, is being saved from hell. What if our salvation is something bigger than just you don't have to go to hell now? She said, God's story is grander than that. What if there's a bigger question like, what is our salvation actually for? Not just what are we being saved from, but what are we being saved for? It's a completely different question that a lot of people probably don't wrestle with very much, but it's something that we hope in the next few weeks uh, might be something that we get some answers to. What is our salvation for? Okay, so I'm just going to leave it at that. We're going we're gonna to go a little bit deeper um, especially into how we respond to culture. They talk about the three ways that we respond to culture. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. As we head into communion time today, um, I was reading this morning, and it's devotional, and, and uh, I'm going to butcher this person's name, so I'm not even going to try to say it. Uh, this was a monk in the 13th century wrote this. He said, what hinders spiritual people most of all from complete perfection is that they pay so little attention to small sins. I tell you in truth, when I hold back a smile, which would harm no one, or have a sourness in my heart, which I tell to no one, or feel some impatience with my own pain, then my soul becomes so dark and my heart so cold that I must weep greatly and lament pitiably and yearn greatly and humbly confess all my lack of virtue. Let me say that first sentence again. What hinders spiritual people most of all from complete perfection is that they pay so little attention to small sins. And as I read that this morning, I started kind of backtracking my weekend and thinking about the number of times when I just had that prideful thought or that sarcastic comment or that selfish notion and that nobody else really is aware of, <laughs> except God, 
You know, I've patted myself on the back for not letting it come out of my mouth or carry off into action. But all of those things are sinful. And I think sometimes I can get um, too focused on just the big times I fail, you know, the, the conversation that goes horribly wrong or that thing that came out of my mouth that I just later on can be like, ah, I can't believe I said that or, or the way I acted towards someone that I forget all of the little things, which is why God's mercy is so amazing because he sees all those things, not only today, but he sees all of them that we're going to do until we die, and he's already forgiven us for those things. His mercy is so great, but our desire to please him and honor him with our lives needs to match, or we should be striving for that, to, to, to thank him, to be grateful for all those things that he knows, all those little sins. And so today, I, wanna, I want you to focus and maybe ask God about what are the small sins that I know are present, but I just kind of gloss over because maybe nobody knows about them or, or no, no big action has come out of them yet. But it's just like anything. It's kind of like the little tapping on something that over time starts to wear something away, and then the big break comes. So let's come before him. Heavenly Father, we give you this time. Lord, we thank you for these ideas that um, we've explored and wrestled with this morning, that there's a grander story going on, God, that as, as exiles and foreigners in this place where you've, you've put us in St. Joseph in 2014, God, that you have a role, you have something for us here. We're not just waiting to go to heaven, but there's, there's a calling here, God, and I pray that you would speak more to us about what that means. And as we come before you to take communion and, and are reminded of your sacrifice for us on the cross, Lord, I pray that we'd be mindful of of the small sins. God, that you would take the scales off our eyes and our prideful arrogance that wants to justify and uh, belittle uh, just these seemingly small and things that aren't really hurting anybody, but God, are an offense to you and your great love for us. So God, hear our confession right now as we prepare ourselves to come before you.